podcast that investigates the experience of self, the events that have shaped our world, the people that we have become, by focusing on the person first. What is your earliest memory of someone who was good at life? Wow. My grandparents were all very, uh, to me, they seemed like they were very good at life. My parents, they, they, they sort of, uh, my memories of them were low stress. They were living lives that I considered to be happy, comfortable. They weren't extremely wealthy, but they were happy uh, with their existence. They, I had one grandfather who used to fish, yeah. and uh, he basically fished most of the day on the side of a little lake, and he played chess in the evenings. And uh, to wow. me, that vision of him, he was, he was very good at life, I think. So good at life from an early age meant the person was living in you know, harmony with their expectations. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. I don't even know what their expectations were. So I, I never had a conversation with him uh, from when he was younger that said, th- th- where he said, these were, are my aspirations. And then I was able to look at him older and see if he, so that there's, there's sort of achievement. And I have no idea actually whether they achieved anything. I do know if I looked at his life, you know, he was my grandfather in particular, right? And he was married he had a family and and then as a grandfather as a retired man he was sort of living the way I, I described and I think he sort of that that's basically what my vision of life is all about right it doesn't you don't have to be married and have kids you have to do the things that I think that you want to do yeah. and not be so overwhelmed or stressed about what everybody else is doing and that's, that's, I think, the, the piece that stood out to me about him is he never seemed that way. So he never never talked about other people or his place in the society or what other people were doing and things like that? No. And this, uh, he, you know, he actually passed away when I was, I was pretty young, maybe, maybe uh, 13 or 14. So I might not have gotten that deep in them. But I think yeah. if I think back of like who was good at life, that's a vision of like uh, yeah. somebody that sticks out in that sense to me. And how do you define it now to... People around you, you know, people of the same age or people who you've worked with younger? Well, it's clear, right? Like I think um, I look at my friends and many of them are the ones that I'm attracted to are focused on sort of their inner circles, their friendships, their relationships, uh, be it their families or whatever it is they have going on in their lives. But it's, it's not... Uh, I don't hang out with an extravagant crowd by any means. Um, <laughs> What's an and, extravagant crowd? Uh, um, so extravagant in sort of uh, even even though people are, if they have money, then they're, they're just not showy about it in general, right? The, the people that I, I tend to migrate towards, I think, yeah. right? So I think we, uh, I think, I, you know, I don't hang out with anybody who is, well, you know, look, I have I have some people that are, when I think about my circle, these are people who are internally driven towards their own personal goals, yeah. and they're you know they're they're achieving them in ways that they don't seem even generally very distraught about. Right. You know. So it's a it's a it's a pursuit that they feel comfortable achieving, and they're not beating themselves up if they're not getting there. Yeah, I think a lot, of, and I I think it's I'm a very positive person, mm. so I. 
I really shy away from negativity yeah. a lot, right? And I'm attracted to people who are positive and, yeah. and generally lower stress, I think. Yeah. So those are the people that, if I look back over the years, those are the people that I've, over year, or, you know, over time, I think as you get older, you sort of narrow down your groups of who you, who you spend time with. Yeah. Those are the people I tend to spend more time with, and I yeah. think that's good for me, and I, I enjoy being around them for that reason. Are you the same for them? Do you think? Uh, I hope so. Yeah, I, I, I try to be. Yeah. yeah. Were you always like that? Or was there a moment where you were kind of attracted to drama or no. glamour? If I think even in career terms, right, uh, I, I'm not uh, a high stress trauma type of person. I like to make decisions. I, I, I react very fast. I was a trader and I have very fast reactions. But a lot of that is was intuition. So I wasn't making rash decisions. I knew how to do something yeah. and I was able to, to work quickly as a, a, you know, however, I think, uh, from a decision-making process standpoint, I make decisions slowly. And when I make them, therefore I've, I'm comfortable generally with my decisions. I'm not waffling back and forth. Therefore that I think that keeps stress levels lower. So I, I actually, it's funny. I think, uh, my wife would, would say I, I spend a lot of time striving for low stress environments. Yeah. And maybe that's good or bad, but that's uh I that's just generally the way I like to yeah. proceed. When you were coming off the back of education and you looked at a successful kind of career, what were the terms that was defined by at that point? You know, when I came out of grad school, I was not at a point where I was thinking career. Which is potentially a terrible thing to say, but it wasn't uh, the way I, I was thinking. I was interested in in the markets. I always had been, but I, I was also very interested in golf. And I thought, hey, you know, maybe I'll play some golf for a while. And I never did. I ended up getting a job right out of grad school yeah. uh, at a firm that I had done my internship in. I, I never did a lot of in the early years what I what you would call career planning. Mm. I sort of had a path. I got onto this path. I kind of knew where I wanted to go as opportunities were presented to me. Yeah. And I took them, but I didn't do, I mean, maybe I think I, I should have potentially, I would have done different things if I had done a lot of heavy career planning. Um, what would you have done, do you think? Well, it's funny. We were just joking in my house the other day, right? So you know how, I, if you go all the way back, right? You go back to high school, and everybody takes this sort of like aptitude test. Mm. And we were joking when I took the aptitude test in my high school, it suggested that I become the perfect career path would be sanitation worker. And I was like, well, maybe that, maybe the, the even the, the thought of taking that test and getting that sort of suggestion, this is back in uh, uh, the, the, the 80s, mid 80s, 85, maybe caused me to not really think much, you know, I'll, I'll sort of, maybe I was thinking in my head, oh, I'll show them. I don't think that's the path I'm going to take, but I don't know exactly what the path is. Right. But I went into the path of the markets because I was interested in financial markets and developing wealth and things like that. And the process of developing wealth wasn't something I, I had, or, you know, I came from a modest background. So I think that's the way, but I, I didn't, spend time thinking about, is there something I have a passion for? Which I think is a big thing that now everybody seems to talk about following your passion. It really wasn't like that then. I was looking for, when I came out of grad school, it was about getting a job and, you know, building a, 
sort of following a career. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't sort of following your passion and seeing if you can make it happen. It was very different, I think. Yeah, and I don't the the concept of at an early age having a, a being able to structure a plan based around passion. Um, you you need to also just absorb a ton of output, right? You need to see what the world is made up of, so then decide what place you may want to have in that. I think early on in, in that, the people who say, I'm, I'm quite sceptical of people who are like 22 years old and intensely passionate about what they want to do, because I'd like to, I'd like, I mean, it, it's it's fine if, you know, it they scans. Can, they can do it. They, there are some, and I'm, uh, I think it's uh, it's admirable in certain ways. They really know themselves but i think there's a i agree i think there's a wide swath of people yeah. that don't exactly know and then they get onto a path and they sort of follow that path if i look back now i, I look at certain things that i love right i love architecture i love design yeah. if i were you know once in a while we joke we joke around like what would you be if you weren't in financial markets and things like that yeah i would maybe follow one of those routes right i love designing our house and and working with my friends on their own personal design yeah those I could spend hours doing that and the time goes by and you don't even notice it, right? Where it doesn't feel like work. Whereas sometimes when I'm forced into a deadline or a project or something in my actual career, it's hard to do, right? So there's a. Do you try and that state of flow of unconscious kind of acting, right? Do you try and force your day job to have as much of those qualities as possible? Like, do you try and bring the architect design head into your job? I do. I, I try. I, so th- the things that I like to do revolve around that sort of strategy, looking at a big picture and determining the path to go. That to me is the same thing as design, right? Like here's a blank slate. Here's an empty house. Here's what it should or could look like, right? Yeah. I love looking at a business model or uh, thinking about where we're trying to get to and what do I think is the best team that we can put together to get there, right? Yeah. Those are the things, if I look back, I've, uh, you know, I've been in the financial markets for 27 years. Every three or four years, I've switched roles. I've only been in three actual jobs at three firms, but every three or four years, I've switched roles within those firms. And part of it is because I, I tend to love this project-oriented nature of building something, getting it on a path. Yeah. And then doing it again and doing it again. Right? How did That's- you get the permission to be that person in charge of that? <laughs> you don't get permission, right? You, uh, it, I, it's actually uh, an, being in a constant state of flux, right? There's a lot of people who are interesting to me, right? They, they can do a role and they can do that same thing for years on end. I don't have that capacity. I, I, I like to see something through. And I like to get, I actually like to get something set up, get it into a reasonably steady state and then let somebody else do it in its steady state. Yeah. And I want to move on and, and do it again. Right. So oftentimes when the, I guess the, the technique I've used over the years, if I look back is hiring really well. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I see in my industry over time is generally people are fearful of hiring people who may challenge them in their own position. And that's, that's not me at all. My, I have the opposite goal. I like to hire people that actually can do what I'm hiring them to do better than I could. Yeah. And that has always, if I look back through all of my jobs has enabled me 
to do the next thing. Yeah. Right. Oh, I'm always sort of replacing myself so that I can do it again. But that, that requires a lot of trust in um, the powers that be who are making that decision to elevate you, right? Because some, I, I see some, I, I completely agree with you. And I've followed the careers of individuals who are now at that position of COO, CEO, and they've done it by hiring the best people, letting them take the credit, standing back and watching it being lifted by these people rather than saying, I'm the only one like Hercules holding this all up, right? And, but it does require the person to have faith in the, st- the structure around you to reward in the right way. Which you- is funny because I don't feel like I have that. I don't think of myself as a trusting person. Like, I don't think I've ever had faith that the people above me are really seeing what I'm doing. I've, I, I think I actually have a lot of internal faith that uh, I feel like I'm taking a risk, right? I hire somebody who some people will think of it as will make me look good, but I think they will, they make themselves look good. They can do it better, right? Yeah, to a yeah, degree. Yeah. Uh, I can teach them what I know and then I think they can take it. And then I think that I can. Uh, I have faith in my ability to find the next thing because I'm always looking ahead. That's who I am. Like I, I was, uh, I was buying virtual reality stocks in the nineties. I was 25 years too early, right? Like that's, you may still be too early. Yeah. I think I'm still too early, but what's interesting is that I always feel like I am looking at the next thing and I'm always early. Part of it is being in the financial markets, right? By the time the world tends to catch up to the financial markets, it's, it's a long, there's a long span. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I'm always, I always like to be on the edge anyway. I'm always looking at that cutting edge. So your motive, I've got to just talk about money because we're in a, an environment you could argue that the world can be corrupted and can be damaged by people who are focusing on preserving their wealth or wealth acquisition. And, um, I literally was going to leave the industry. So I, I studied uh, different subjects, uh, artistic subjects, and I was going to leave and become a photographer, basically. Mm-hmm. War photography. James Natchway was my kind of idol. I thought, I'll go and do that. Wow. And I'll be fulfilled. Nice. Um, and uh, I didn't do it. Um, I had a conversation with a chap called Colin Melvin. He said, choose better clients to work for. He said, we are stewards of capital. We're not here to please ourselves or to have great suits and great jobs. We're here to literally look after individuals pension that's what it all breaks down to is pension schemes and and you know individuals later life you know a lot of a lot of it and um he said that's uh something that we should be grateful that we've been entrusted with um but people don't you wouldn't think that if you turned up to london you know and you you rocked up and you saw the values by which people socialize within you know or the the way they trade status it's normally i mean i've got this power i've got this amount of money and I've got these the outcomes surrounding me, right? Well, look, you can find you can find the right crowd. I think I, I believe in the power of being able to find the right crowd anywhere you go. Yeah. Okay, so I, I've I've you know I call it Wall Street because I came out of New York. Right, I've only been in London for four years now, but even there, right, there are the people that really have investor benefits at heart. Right, there there are definitely people who are there to enrich themselves. And it's uh, there's there's you know a tremendous amount of opportunities if that's your pursuit, right? But there are also those people that are there with the core belief of like you're just talking about. They are stewards of people's wealth. It's incredible to me, and it's uh, it's unfortunate now, even today, the lack of financial education among the broad populace. We, we could be doing so much more. But I find I tend to gravitate 
to those people that are interested in that and that believe in that, right? The teams I've hired, when yeah. we hire people, right, we, we're looking for people with core values around that. Yeah. And you can, you can find them, right? Look, it's yeah. not always perfect, but uh, you can get there. Do you need to be in an environment, a little ecosystem of, of the business you're working for that is majoritively those types of motivations in individuals or can you play well with a whole mix of different motivations, do you think? Oh, I play well. With everyone, yeah. uh, I've always been. You know, you learn how to play well in the sandbox, but you need you need leadership from the top that sees the people. And uh, I've been lucky, actually. The people I've worked for, uh, they've they've had that vision, right? They, yeah. they they look. There are things you have to do in the job. You have to present yourself a certain way. You have to do that. But when you get down to it, right? Yeah. Their core beliefs are all about the. Uh, you know, building better financial products or doing things like that. And this was really a, this is a change I made. So you asked about like when it was almost a, when did I become self-aware, right? Like in the beginning, it, well, I wasn't like that. My first eight years, six years in the business, I thought being on Wall Street was about wealth creation for myself, right? That was, I was doing arbitrage trading, right? That the, the, All that does is capture inefficiencies that, uh, people are making right sure. so i'm like i'm feeding off their their lack of knowledge of some sort right i'm feeding yeah. off mistakes that's what i was doing and it was only in uh 2000 or 1998 to 2000 when i started seeing what etfs are and i started out by doing the same thing capturing the inefficiencies in the market which is basically preying on people who are trading incorrectly that's sure. how you capture etf arbitrage there was a very important moment for me at some point. I think it was roughly around 2000 where I was, I learned how to distinguish the fact that when I left the office, I was an investor. I was a person, right? Sure. And I was taking the money I earned and I wanted to invest it. And I felt like, wait a minute, I deserve to invest this fairly in a way where I'm not getting ripped off, where there are not people taking arbitrage spreads out of my investments because I'm paying the wrong price, Yeah. right? So I really became aware that what we should be doing is helping investors get have a better experience, right? And bringing them up the curve to be able to do that. Bringing them up the curve, but also at the same time, bringing the, the, the markets as a whole down to a level where it, it is a fair playing field, right? There shouldn't be institutions getting you know, different benefits from the markets than people. Everybody walk out the door of the office, every one of us, and we're people and we deserve a fair investment scheme. And uh, that was an important moment for me. And probably for the last 20 years, that's been the core of w the way I think in terms of everything I do. It was interesting. Yeah. So when you surround yourself with people and you have that framework through which you went through this epiphany or change of viewpoint, how do you find if that's happened to other people? Look, there's a. It, it depends where you are, right? So a lot of it is where you are in the career. A lot, most. Uh, hey, I'll give you an example. Let's say you're work. You're going to do a deal with somebody. So you're on a fairly equal footing. You represent a part of your company that's doing a deal with another representative, mm -hmm. and this person is has ownership over a big part of this happening, and you've got to understand at your core what is their motivation. How how do you? How do you find out, like almost like an interview, but how do you find you, you out? You just have to get to know people, right? So you, it's all about 
Uh, it reminds me of the way you and I met, right? You meet over lunch or you meet over coffee, right? Yeah. And you yeah. spend time talking about everything but the matter at hand, right? Whether it's career, whatever the deal is, whatever, right? Yeah. But it's you, you learn about people through everything else they're doing. Yeah. Right? So I spend a lot of time just getting to know people, which is funny because I actually think, I think firms in general do a very bad job uh, in, in finance recruiting people. Right. So we, I've hired, I've hired hundreds of salespeople over the last 20 years. Right. And what's amazing to me is in hiring salespeople, we sort of do that, right. Where we have, we have, you know, when you get to the senior levels, you have a conversation with them over lunch or coffee, you try and get to know them. Yes. That gives you an aspect of their character. Right. And that's, the thing I care about most, right? So that's how you learn about their core. Yeah. And that's always been the role I play in interviews. I don't need to interview you for your skill. Generally, I have somebody on my team that can do skills assessment, and I will interview you for, you know, where is your heart? Or how are you a fit with my team and my yeah. people, right? Yeah. But what's interesting to me that's missing from that process, sometimes they the, the quantitative trading firms do it well, but it's not even that. This concept of money ball in terms of the way they recruit uh, or they scout uh, sports players nowadays, there are no statistics on salespeople in the financial industry, yeah. which I think is insane, yeah, right? If right. you've been a salesperson for the last 10 years, yeah, I should be able to open your baseball card or look Absolutely. at the back of your card yeah. and see, oh, in 18, you raised this and this, you did this many meetings, you do this, you have this kind of batting average, right? That why, why do, in this day of technology, why we don't have these statistics and do a better job at hiring instead of spending 80% of the hiring process on do we think you're a fit? It's, uh, it's a weird one to me. Yeah, so I can answer some of the, the anecdotal experiences I've had of um, I've sat I've interviewed sales teams and individuals and it felt like some of them did exactly what you said. It was a, an attrition. They went out there, they hit their numbers and some of them just stood in the way of a tidal wave that was heading their way anyway. Mm -hmm. And they rose with that tide, you know? Oh yeah. I I know plenty of people who have done very well by the, you know, the last 20 years. So it serves the people who (laughs) are only the people who are say honest and true and accountable to do that. But there's a bunch of people who that wouldn't serve very well to, to hand over that card. But that's um, but look, but the industry should be looking at that. So I, I find it fascinating, yeah. right? I got into ETFs uh, roughly 1998, and in those days we were. I was part of the derivatives group, but we sat with the equity sales trading desk at the firm that I was at, and uh, you know it was clear to me even in the early 2000s that automation was putting all of these guys eventually out of jo- out of jobs right or or Changing most him. of them yeah. right yeah. but it took 15 or 10 years until i started seeing their resumes and then i had already been in etfs for 10 years already and they're like hey the etf industry is hot how do i get into it right they've they've basically survived sort of on that tidal wave over the last 10 years yeah. by the fact that they there were still so much money flowing through the system. Yeah. Even if they were mediocre, they were getting paid. So they might not have been making their numbers, but they were getting paid to a degree, right? I think the banks are now sort of waking up to that and, and sort yeah. of really trying to understand their people better. Yeah. And uh, but there's, a, there's still a long way to go, but we got away from investors and to people. So I want to just, I'm going to take another segue. Um, how do you keep your mental health in check? 
Yeah. Well, it depends who you ask if my mental health is actually in check. For me, I, 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 I like to spend some time staring at blank walls or sitting on the couch staring out the window, right? I think... Silence I, or music or... Yeah, a lot of time it's nothing. I try and spend some time just thinking, right? Walking. Uh, for a while I was walking to work in the mornings, yeah. right? And that'd be a nice five-mile walk and I would clear my head. So sometimes I'm listening, but sometimes I'm just thinking, right? Yeah. I think that's really big for me. It enables me to solve a lot of these problems that are... Bouncing around in my head. That, Defragmenting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. So I do that and, I, I, you know, uh, I'm, I can see I'm always better when I'm, when I'm exercising and getting fresh air. Yeah. Right. It's uh, actually the move here has been interesting because it's so much darker in London in the yeah. winter than it is in New York. Yeah. So that's actually been a change that takes years to get comfortable with and yeah. figure out how to get outside like a... I think I'm much more comfortable going outside in the dark in the mornings now, but it took a while to sure. get used to that. So Monday was really dark, and then today was a bright sunshine day, right? Yeah, it's out there. Right, right. And I had to really dig deep on Monday to be like, okay. I had loads of great things happening on Monday, by the way. We had two new starters, two podcasts, really excited. and But I had to, you know, I think maybe I've got seasonal affective disorder or whatever it is. Like, I think... I, I think you just really, like... When it's bright here, it's yeah. bright, and yeah. it's, it just goes right through you in a good way, yeah. right? And when it's not, you just feel it, right? And so the, the, yeah. the winters are dark and long, and it's it's uh, if you've lived here your whole life, it's you may not even notice it, but moving here, you definitely feel it. Yeah. And uh, so for me, I, I've had to work on that over the last few years to make sure that I get out in the daylight during the day if you can, right? Yeah. You need to take a walk. You need to step away. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, it's important. Um, this is a new question I haven't asked. What do you spend your money on recreationally? <laughs> I, I, I literally, we like trips. We we mm -hmm. moved to Europe four years ago to travel, and Great. I don't really spend money on anything else. Like yeah, you know, living, you know, rent. Our kids go to school and food in general, right? Yeah. And then travel. We Brilliant. are we are not collectors of things. As a matter of fact. I love what we did. When we moved from New York to London, we were lucky and I was able to keep my house in New York. Great. And we left everything. We moved with just clothing. Really? That's yeah. Great. And it was really freeing. I look back at that house now. It's full of stuff that we don't even need, right? We sure. bought some furniture. Yeah. Very, you know, generally I like to shop at Ikea. I like the design. I think it's, I Clean think the lines. quality yeah. has gotten great over the yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. It's a great, it's a great, they're a great real retailer. Yeah. So we've, we decorated our whole house with Ikea and, uh, which is incredibly inexpensive. Yeah. And, but perfect. And I love that, right? We have, very again it goes back to what we were talking about before i think these things the fact that i don't leaves us with a very low stress lifestyle in that sense we spend our money on really having some experiences most most of it is together as a family which has been amazing over the last four years or so yeah where have you been in you've been to europe then or you've been broader to like india china or? um well i've traveled a lot for work so i've been to india uh and china uh working with the governments there and things like that uh, as a family, over the last four years, we've sp uh, specifically focused on Europe because we're living here and we want to make sure that we know this place. I mean, I think for for my children, we have three children, like part of the move here was educating them about this place, right? And uh, 
that's what we do, and it's been good. That's great. So if you weren't doing this job, if you were, let's say, you had to live in a different country, not the UK right now, Mm -hmm. and you had to choose a profession to throw yourself into, what place and what profession? You know, so we talked before about, well, would I follow my passion? Actually, my passions have changed, right? Like, now I have something that I know that I can help people with, which is understanding their own personal finances and their wealth and, and how to grow it. Like I'm working with several people who are young people that I know who really didn't understand what to do. They're trying to make decisions about buying houses or renting or how to grow their, their own, the money they make at their job for the future. Really, really low level uh, starting off with their finances and they have no idea. So I'm spending my time doing that. And I think that uh, I want to, I think I want to move more into that. So I'm working with the World Bank on in on uh, financial markets in emerging markets, yeah. and there are a lot of opportunities to work with people that just are not getting any financial literacy at all, and they can be helped. That's the, it, it, you know, I guess maybe by the time you, you get to a place where I am, you start to thinking about like, what will your impact be? Right. And uh, when did you start thinking about that? Really, like uh, sort of 10 years ago or so, I started to think about what's the value in what I'm doing. Right. So I I wrote the I wrote two books on education about the ETF market with that goal in mind. Right. How can I help people with the knowledge that I've gained over 25 years in the market? Yeah. How can I give that to people? So I wrote books, but really it's uh, it's a hand to hand combat type of Sport. The books are only read by a certain small population uh, of, of people who are actually interested in financial markets. I think I can have more of an impact with people in general. It goes yeah. back to what I was saying about you walk out of the office door and everybody needs some help. They Whatever m- amount of money they have, they deserve to have a fair shot and they deserve some help in managing it well. Can right. I ask a question though? Sure. Do they also have to step up and take a responsibility of learning and investigating things for themselves it's a it's a great question and it's sort of unfair you've got your life say you are a teacher right you you're in the classroom from eight to three and then you have four hours of work later right so maybe you're done at six o'clock or something like that right and then maybe you've got some family maybe you've got a personal pursuit and you've got to go to bed so that you can get six or seven hours worth of sleep a night. It's almost unfair of the world to require them to also try and navigate what I consider to be the minefield of personal financial products right now, right? The financial product landscape has become, look, you've seen the financial crisis in the U.S. in 08, 09, and mortgages, right? The mortgage crisis, yeah. that's unfair to people, sure. right? And if we can protect people from that, and it shouldn't necessarily. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to sound too liberal. Like it shouldn't be incumbent upon them on being responsible as well. But it's almost unfair to think that they can get to the level of education that they need they to need, be yeah. to be able to compete on a level playing field. So we should be able to offer them something different, right? And I think we can with technology now. Definitely. I don't know if this is too simplistic or just not a relevant parallel, but if you think about like the health crisis, especially in America, Mm -hmm. what you've got is um, companies that know better, exploiting a deficit in knowledge, giving cheap food that is actually not good for the health of the individual. And then there's this kind of 
re-education I think over here Jamie Oliver you know reached to a kind of a governmental level where he changed kind of some school dinners and things like that and lots of people are on that push now to educate individuals about the connection to their food and making decisions around just you know, what you put in your body and the outcomes there on it right can we could you make that parallel with say financial advice and say there's a similar deficit there but how much is then incumbent on the individual to say if I'm getting all of this stuff and it's too good to be true, then maybe it's, you know, some of it isn't true. And how much do I need to, you know, mitigate the the difference between the two? Well, I think we're, we're actually getting there in certain ways, right? There's a, there's a lot of what I call it is, is sort of like new finance. People call it fintech. I, I think of it as new finance, right? There are a lot of mechanisms now for people to get... Uh, I don't. I don't think they need complication, right? They need low, low fee investment products that are reasonably easy to understand. So if we can teach them about not, salespeople are good, right? I mean, they they're if you're a salesperson, you're generally good at selling, right? So what happens is, and I meet these people all the time, and they're like, uh, you know, ah, oh, yeah, I'm gonna buy this. Uh, I'm gonna buy this house because somebody was talking to me about this and that and the other, and they talked. They convinced me that that makes good sense. And I'm like, well, do you have this kind of money to lay out? And what's your financial yeah. situation going to look like? And if you think you dig, you, you ask five questions <laughs> and you realize this makes it's no sense at all. Right. <laughs> but some salesperson yeah. really caused them. And it's, it's, uh, I'm not here saying that we shouldn't, those salespeople shouldn't exist. That's, that's, that's not what I'm saying. We, we, yeah. So, but we can only get people up to a certain level and then they have to, they have to resist the temptations, right? So it's like your food example, right? Sure. It's you, you can't say that you can't have that fast food place on the corner. Like, I don't sure. want to, I don't want to mandate that, but I want to, I want to teach people how to resist the temptations. Actually, what people do, you, it, it goes through the whole thread of what we're talking about a little bit. People, yeah naturally complicate their lives and it's through temptations right right so if they thought about it on all levels if they thought about some of the decisions they made just for a little bit yeah it would it would save heartache it would save in a variety of different ways sure. right like i completely agree there there if you think of like humans being hardwired to resource gather sweet salty fatty you know yeah propagate <laughs> you know <laughs> all these different things that people they their natural kind of um, evolutions played out in this you know i guess carl jean would call it like uh, you know a simulacrum of society uh it's not real it's we're all just faking and hiding in our true animal natures what have you but if you think that people have these natural proclivities and there's this kind of higher self or you know that has to regulate that is your writing to try and appeal to that that second thought or that pause before the action. Yeah, that's that's right. I want actually. I think we could do it for people now uh, with technology, right? Yeah. So actually, there are massive amounts of capital and technology being applied to try and cause people to succumb to these those whims. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I don't see enough technology on the other side yet. Yeah. To try and help people there's a huge amount of live a simpler life type of information out there for people i've been looking online like massive amounts of you know the the fire movement about you know yeah 
That's, financial can independence. Can we explain that real quick? In sure. Just, FIRE is uh, financial independence, retire early. I, actually, I think it's not a great moniker because it's not retire. That's a misnomer in that it's um, it's financial independence and then more about – I, I used a – I used the acronym once called FITER, F-I-T-E-R, which was financial independent, take educated risks, right? It's not like you're going to stop doing things. Of course. But yeah. think about the things you're going to do and make yeah. sure they make sense one way or another in your life, right? Yeah. But I, I like the piece about simplifying your existence. And changing right? your expectations. At the heart of that, it's like the four-hour work week. I was like, right, got to what? Got to read this. How is he going to solve this? And it was so obvious. Of course, he's changing the expectations you have from life by simplifying yeah. them and removing the things that really aren't going to, you know, they're carrot rope. Yeah. They're, they're not really something you need. But that would be actually good for the, I, I think you've seen companies do that as well, right? The, the whole move towards people being able to work from home as well yeah. and productivity increasing sometimes through, through that, right? Yeah. It shows that um, there was a mindset, I think, about, you know, I need to be a nine to five worker, right? And it wasn't about, it wasn't about how much I can achieve in that you know, it was, I need to be there from nine to five. And I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's now shifting towards this. What can I get done? What can I achieve? Absolutely, and, yeah. and you see all different levels of achievement yeah. and that's fine. But I think uh, that, I think that actually level sets people a little bit better and yeah. helps them to focus yeah. when you get, that's why you see a lot of success on independent companies now, startups and things like that, because I think people are, are able to take more control of their destiny. They're not expected to be somewhere nine to five. They're on an individual basis. People are level setting their own expectations of themselves and then trying to achieve it. Yeah. I think it's better. Uh, it's a better system to me. It's a good evolution. I'm going to play devil's advocate if I've already done Please. it. Um, <laughs> so, how much of the, the 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 problems and the stress and the mental health issues that people experience in their lives? I don't just mean. Just day to day, I mean, kind of, you know, not achieving goals. They, you know, their structure falling apart. They're not achieving what they need, or financial um, ruin, or whatever. How much of that also can be? Do you have to take into account the human scale, and I mean, what by that I mean the ability of human beings to project. Because we're meant to be dead at 30, 40, right? If you look at it, if you go back, before we started to invent things like healthcare and eradicate, you know, we would basically propagate. And then die. And I think I'm 40. I'm on borrowed time already. I think, <laughs> I think you know, evolutionarily, right? We've, we've changed our evolution by, we were, you know, us and, a, and some well, other... Yeah, but that's saying that we were meant to do that forever. And right. that's, that's not evolution, right? We're evolving. We're constantly evolving. But there's like so a meta-evolution that's happening. Because when we use tools, didn't that change things dramatically for human beings? That we start to use tools and then we start to tinker with... You know. Yeah, but I think all of those things are good. I think that's right. a progression of life. That's right, that's exactly right. But we're living in this kind of like singularity curve, if you want to think of it like that, that's so steep now that we're, we've got all these kind of great ambitions and AI is kind of coming along and it's, but we're still this human scale of how we deal with our issues. So I could listen and read your book and then do 10 years of amazing work. And then I, you turn up at my house and all this great stuff I've uh, accumulated, I've just blown it all on a new Audi A7 or whatever. You're like, what, they, what are you doing, Ben? What did I tell you? Like, and I was like, sorry, I'm just a fallible human being. Right? <laughs> Isn't there that element of like the spike of just how we are as human beings or we mess it all up because we go on an alcohol binge on a 
or you have a, an affair and you ruin your marriage and you're all that kind of, you know, all these things, do they happen, these spikes in people's lives, even though they're trying to move the very small little pieces one by one into the right line, but then we, we can, you know, human beings do mess it all up as well. Well, yeah, right. So uh, um, that's kind of why I want to slow down decision-making, right? That's, if you, if you could do that, right, you could probably avoid 90% of these, right? Um, yeah. But I don't think it's that the tools and the spike in, in our abilities has created some sort of bad society that's, that humans aren't adept for. We are adapting, right? We need to adapt. And there's a lot of work out there about, you know, the 100-year life, right? right? And so a lot of the people that we engage with or that we're, we're encountering, right, they were not raised with a mindset of a 100-year life. Like you say, it was a 40 to 70-year life. But the mindset is changing in those people like I, I I do a lot of thinking around the hundred year life because I think that's so it's almost like the financial sales guys that I was talking about right yeah. there's a lot of people that are going to live a hundred year life that don't realize it yet right sure, or they're sure. going to live till 90 sure. and they're not thinking about it because they're still stuck in this mindset of the 40 to right. 70 year life Absolutely, right? yeah. and I actually think people should start to think about it because they would change the way they act or they need to start thinking about what this evolution, right? And it'll become natural, right? Like my kids have a different mindset than I did. You, your mindset, 40 years, maybe, maybe 70, 40 to 70. But if you're a kid born, you know, in the last decade, you're definitely thinking 80 to a hundred is your, and which is why people are doing first act, second act, third act, right? Like, right. The, you know, these 20 yeah. year olds aren't so stressed about th that they only have 25 or 30 years left right yeah. they in their view they're they've got 70 more years yeah they should be thinking much longer plan actually i think what happens is people it's a long-term play for yeah. many people especially if you're in your 20s you've got another 70 years but they think short term in yeah. uh, their actions and I, I, that's something that we can uh, help correct do you think things like philosophy and um, any kind of meditation whether it's walking for you know five miles at the beginning of the day or whatever, do you think that should be taught in schools almost as an absolute core human subject um, alongside, by the way, financial responsibility? Well, yeah. I mean, I was going to say, I think that, uh, I, I think financial education is not taught in schools at all. Yeah. And that's a huge miss, right? I, my kids have all gone through high school. There's not a, really a single class on, on financial education. I, I think, and it's great schools, but uh, it just doesn't exist, right? It's very rare. It happens in certain places, but it's very rare. Uh, regarding philosophy, I think a lot of that is sort of, I mean, you can, I don't know if I want to lay it all on schools. I think a lot of that comes through living and, and through uh, life in general, right? Uh, how, how about just to be a human being, though? Like, if you think about how you started out, how your life has changed and where you are now and what you, you see as an incumbent responsibility to help share some of the knowledge, how much of your success is also down to your worldview and your philosophy, if, if I can say that? Sorry, there's an, a huge amount of people passing us <laughs> off to lunch, I think. Because you seem to be a very positive person. When we first met to now... I'm positive. I, I am. I'm, I'm overly positive, <laughs> many people would say. It's, uh, it's off-putting in, in certain ways. I believe, uh, you know, it's, it, I, I try and distance myself from negative thoughts, right? right. I think things will work out. Is that uh, because you think that people see the world as they are rather than how the world actually is, Right. So if someone's negative, what they're actually saying is, I can't see a way out of this, rather than there is no way out of this. 
or I, I see this as something that's crushing rather than something Yeah, I, well, I think over. they overestimate. With, with everything, people overestimate the downside. Always. Right. So uh, they discount the upside. They overvalue the downside. Sure. In everything they do, and sure. all across life. But that, that's also survival mechanism, isn't it? It's like, if I put myself in a vulnerable position where a tiger might jump out and eat me, that's the last time yes, I'll have that. Yes, but it doesn't help you in the 100-year life. That's exactly right. At all, right? <laughs> Especially in today's society, right? That's, yeah, so yeah. we need to get further and further away from triggering our amygdala all the time. Yep, and yeah. I, I think that's the, that's the interesting part yeah. uh, for people, you know? And yeah. uh, I, I don't think this is a philosophy that requires you to read uh, 100 self-help books, right? The, the, to me, the most simple philosophy for people living is like, okay— before you take the action, spend 10 seconds to think about the ramifications of the action for the future and project that future out long, right? 90% of a, a, lot, a lot of the issues could be remedied throughout that, right? And it would give people a generally different, I think, philosophy on life. Yeah. We've gotten way, way away from where I, uh, I thought we were going, but it's interesting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're nearly into our last uh, 10 minutes. So I want to ask you a couple of uh, quick fire questions. What's your relationship with death? Uh, I, ju- I just think it's going to happen and it's a part of life and you don't know when, but uh, you can keep moving it out a little bit as you you know progress and as technology gets better and health gets better. Uh, and that's it. I don't. That's have the a, ev- that's the event. You got no feelings about it, though. None. You don't think about it. No. <laughs> that's good. I wish I it's just going to happen. I'm not fearful of it. I'm not uh, embracing it. Uh, Is this that stuff you want to do before it? Um, look, I, I want to. I would like to continue along the path I'm on for as long as I can. Right. I, I'm very, very lucky. I've got a great family. I want to continue to see them grow up. I want to. But uh, you know, I, I I would like to. I'm more fearful of bad health than death. A long drawn out. Yeah. Bad health. Yeah. yeah I, I think that's a horrible. I, I mean, I feel just, just it, that hurts me when people are suffering for sure. long periods of time like that. Or just yeah. can't be themselves. Yeah. yeah. Selling that. No, look, I'm amazed. I'm always impressed and amazed by people who, who make the best of, of hard circumstances. I'm super impressed by that. Uh, yeah. I think it's it's a tremendous, and I, I I've been lucky. I, I haven't had to reach deep within myself to do that yet, and uh, I hope I I can do the same one day. But you, but you don't know no. uh, that that uh, is probably more of a question for me than death. Right? Death is going to happen. Sure. But uh, would I be able to reach inside myself yeah. and manage as brilliantly as people do in under adverse circumstances? That's a different one, and uh, that one I kind of hope so. Yeah. Has, has success and happiness been congruent? Look, um, I'm incredibly successful. I have nothing that I can say that I should not be happy about. I'm incredibly lucky with my life as it's turned out. I'm going to jump on that if and, I may, real quick. I'm going to interrupt you. So how much do you think of your life has been lucky and fortunate opportunities? Has it been a minimal part of your life? Have you mainly grafted or do you think... It's a, it's a combination of both? No, I was, I, I, the opportunities that were afforded me were tremendous, right? So there's, there's definitely some luck in there. I, I like to say not that you make your own luck, but 
you need to position yourself to be lucky. Yeah. Um, How does one do that? Think about it, right? Right? Like, don't overreact to the... Don't overestimate the downside. Think about the decisions you're making. Try not to put yourself in a position where if things go horribly awry, you're going to be... You're going to be fucked, you know? Um, just try and... it. If you do that, you're positioning yourself for luck, right? So it's the last 20 years have been a reasonably tremendous bull market. And I've been exposed to that. I positioned myself. I'm not able, and I I don't think anybody is able to tell you when over a 20-year period of stocks are going up or down. I mean, generally, the average is going to be right. But it's been a tremendous period, right? for the period that I've been in the market since 92 to today. So 30 years, really sure, 27 yeah. years. Right. And I've benefited from that. That, that was a little bit of luck, you know, and I, I positioned myself well for it, but. Uh, Do you think you chose the right people to hang around with? And I mean that in work and you know, everything, really your entire decision day, like everything, every time you're making a decision and you're around people, do you think the people have really helped enrich your decision making and i also mean here by the way the people have treated you badly just as much yeah look i generally have one rule there and that's negativity right so i i I avoid people who are negative i just don't like to think that way right who are obsessed look you just you get it through interaction with them and then they, they, how do you they, see through bullshit? So if somebody is a positive, hey, Dave, we're going to do this, this is going to be great, blah, blah, blah. I think you're one of the best guys out there, blah, 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 blah. How do you see through that? How do you get well, to truth? Well, look, you can't always, you, you don't, right? Until, but people show them themselves over time, right? So that, that may take time where I've been around some people who maybe weren't looking out for my best interests all the time, right? But uh, over the long term, yeah. I've been able to find the people that, or the people, right? And I've got, I, I can look back and I, uh, you know, I have some relationships that uh, they go back a long time, you know, and yeah. uh, and I have others that have dissipated and they weren't right, right? And, uh, but I think, but I generally try for the, you know, you talk about luck and happiness. I try and position myself for that. And I yeah. try and you can, you can sweat the small stuff, which I try not to do. And I try not to, watch the daily news, you know, and uh, mm. those are things that aren't necessarily enriching. They don't enrich my life. They how may you, enrich others, but not mine. How do you get perspective when, where, I mean, um, I went through an experience recently where I had, a, I had to go back to the mantra that I always said. So my little mantra is when you're dealing with an issue and you're really down, you think the world's kind of against you. I actually said these words out loud. I can't believe I even said it recently. I went, I can't believe the world's against me. Um, and I go, I zoom out in time and I go to hundred years, thousand years, 10,000 years. And I look at the earth and I look at the formation of the everything. And I go, holy shit, I'm literally alive right now at an amazing time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We are alive at an incredible time. If you think about you know, monoculture and then agricultural revolution and then industrial revolution and then information revolution. And we're right here at this point Uh, now. I'm amazed by that, yeah. And then I look back and go, and I'm going to die. And none of this means anything anyway. And there'll be a heat death of the universe. Eventually everything will super cool down. There'll be no living beings ever. Um, And then maybe everything will shrink and then it'll be another big bang. Who knows? And none of this really is has any importance. So just do the best you can and don't get, you know, get out of your own way. That's how I do it. But I recently had a situation where that didn't work. I was so really? emotionally, you know, just 
fatigued from loads of different areas. And I thought to myself, I've got to fucking live this statement out loud. I've got to really believe in this. Did it get you through it? I, it so. Eventually I had to sit down for five hours, pretty much like you in a, in a room with a blanket looking out onto my garden. And I eventually kind of got there and now I'm, I'm over. It's done. It's all good. We also fixed some of those problems as well with an incredible team around me and blah, blah, blah. It was an admin thing. It was nothing more than an admin thing. But um, how do you get that moment of escape when it is all coming in? Like, is there a personal mantra or something you believe in? No, you know, and I, I, I walk it off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm doing. And, uh, yeah. pe- you know, people don't even realize it. I keep a lot in, right? So, um, uh, look, I, I've, been, I've been sort of masterminding my next 25 years in my head recently over the last few months. On right? your books. I, I left my, my current firm. I'm developing my own firm. And it's not, it's not something I want to sit down with somebody and go through the details with, right? So sure. I'm, I'm masterminding it in my head. And I sure. go for these walks and, uh, you know, you walk through Hampstead Heath. It's absolutely stunning. You, you think, oh, my God. How can such a place like this exist in one of the largest cities in the world? It's incredible. And it lets you bring some of these things together. Unfortunately, it happens a lot during uh, in the middle of the night when I'm sleeping as well. Like it'll wake me up at three or four in the morning and I'm like, I'm thinking about the stuff that I can't get out of my head because I'm just trying to, like you said, defragment, uh, defragment thing, the, 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 the hard drive. (laughs) Yeah. That's how I do it. You know, that's, I don't have a mantra. I don't have anything. I just play it over my head until I feel like I've got the right decision. And I try and play out the, uh, scenarios. Is there, before we end, is there anything you want to, um, recommend people read? It could be a poem, piece of artwork, a book, film, anything that they can, um, they should connect with. You know what I've I've been into lately, and it's funny that we're doing a podcast, right? But I, I, and obviously, people listening to this podcast uh, now that I'm realizing I was uh, this came to my head before I realized we were on a podcast. <laughs> that people should be podcasting is actually changing my life, right? I honestly, and and I'm not new. I'm not early in mm. the podcasting generation. It's ten years probably, right? But I realize now that you. I, I I've said this to somebody recently. I can create the conference of my dreams, right? I can get the best speakers I've ever wanted to hear if I'm selective about the podcast, and I can put them together and I can create an eight-hour conference for myself every Saturday if I wanted to of only the speakers I wanted to hear on a variety of different topics, right? The ability to get to people, get access to people that you would have only been able to dream about accessing years ago. Yeah. And now they're they're either answering questions on a podcast or they're leading their own podcast. Yeah. And you can get those for either free or incredibly cheaply. This, to me, is changing the world. It's going to decimate the conference business because I don't understand why people are going to conferences in, that set, in this environment. Yeah. But... It can also really podcasting can change your life in that sense. You yeah. can really find the info you want Absolutely, or need yeah. at the moment, yeah. which is and it changes, right? Like yeah. uh, I, I'm listening to more and more, spending more and more of my time on podcasts, less and less of my time on books, actually, which is interesting. Um, is that because you take information audibly or orally? I should say no, no. You know what? I can I I can I listen faster than I read. 
Yeah, me to, too. So, and I'm, I'm constantly- And it stresses my eyes too. Yeah. I yeah. can close my eyes and be in peace. So I can do podcasts at, at one and a half speed and yeah. they sound great. Yeah. And I'm getting, I'm, I'm going through all sorts of different people. I feel like I'm consuming a huge amount of information. Yeah. Now, I mean, I think there is this mass amount of information that people are getting inundated with and then you need to control it a little bit. But at least with a podcast, like as compared to- the nightly news or the the paper they make they give you the menu they they make the choice a podcast is like the yeah. greatest buffet you've ever had <laughs> you can choose the dishes you want and everything is there yeah 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 it's an and it's normally deeper and richer yeah it's not normally dumbed down no. you can jump into expert stuff if you need to have you come across Brene Brown no Brene Brown she studied shame for about 15 20 years Wow. In a scientific method. Uh-huh. She's done a number of TED conferences. She's written a number of books and she's fantastic. I'm going to check it out. I'm going all over the place. I'm, I'm, what I'm doing is not restricting myself on podcasting. I started out in financial markets, sure. right? Sure. And But now I'm all bets are off, right? I'm all <laughs> over the place in my podcasting and I feel like it's opening up an entirely new world. You've got to recommend one. Well, you know, look, <laughs> I, ju- I was just, I've just been listening to, I listened to like three episodes of, or four of uh, Kara Swisher on Pivot, which I just consumed this weekend, which I had never. Can we say that again? It's uh, Kara Swisher on Pivot is the podcast. Um, As in like to pivot a a log? uh, Yeah, kind of. I guess the the podcast is called Pivot. Pivot, Pivot. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she's a, uh, she was a technology writer. She's, she's, she's just, it's fascinating actually. And I stumbled upon it through, I was listening to Ritholtz, who's generally a market uh, Masters in Business right. podcast. He interviewed her. Yeah. And I, so I heard about it through that podcast and then I started consuming it. And, uh, you know, it's front of mind, but I, I'm really enjoying it. And what's amazing with podcasts is you can, you can get through, you know, I'll, I'll get through eight hours of podcasts and then that's enough. I've got to where I need to be. And then you're caught up in the new ones you can keep up on if you want to, or you can move on to yeah. something else. And I, I mean, I've gone through a long list of people who I don't listen to anymore or I do. And uh, that's great. Yeah, that's cool. We'll put a link to that as well in the, um, in the summary. Yeah, it's cool. Thanks. Dave, thanks so much. Such a pleasure. It's good Cheers. to see you, Ben. You Bye. too.